Absolutely. Carlton Huckman, our other program director, tell us what makes this country great. Uh, well, I have to ask first. Um, I wanted to quote Thomas Jefferson, but I wanted to be sure he hasn't been canceled yet. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, moment to moment, right? One important source, and it is only one of many sources, right, is the news media. And, and sadly for all of us, right, the American news media produces more garbage every day than New York City. Which is <laughs> <laughs> true. And so, and, you, know, they, you know, I mean, we all know this, right? I mean, they constantly insult our intelligence, right? The media insults our values. They manipulate our emotions. I mean, how many times have we all watched the news, read the newspaper, you know, for me reading a tweet, right, and just become agitated in the process? And, you know, I wait in the cesspool of Twitter all the time, and I'm constantly <laughs> insulted by what I read, and yet I keep going back for more. And, <laughs> and once you come to realization, right, it's just like the emotional manipulation. I mean, that is a feature of the news media, right? Facebook is the better platform. If you want to communicate with people who consider themselves media or influencers, and note, right. um, consider themselves influencers <laughs> then you should be tweeting and you can continue to tweet at people who live in the same little bubble of influence kevin joked about reading the new york post a lot i will i will say um, the new york post is probably our family's version of rush limbaugh um, <laughs> my childhood rush limbaugh because we have lots of conversations at the dinner table about something he's read I'll say the biggest worry for me is um, is we have an entrenched political class in D.C. that does not want to solve major problems, has allowed major problems to fester, and problem, just look at an issue like Social Security. It's going to drive our debt insane, bankrupt this country if we don't fix it. You can talk policy all day long, but if you don't actually act on it and show that you do, um, Republicans or conservatives have, um, or, or actually care about people, it's just not going to go far because there's a there's a hundred think tanks out there pu pushing out policies all the time, but uh, we're actually on the ground in these communities uh, doing great work. And you know what? For me, it's it's uh, you all, this team, and all the things that we've done. You know, when I when we kicked this thing off and founded it, a lot of people asked me, like, "Hey, what's 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 the metric for success? We don't know how do you measure this? Like, what is it going to be?" And I think you can look around the state of Wisconsin right now, you talk to people in every corner of the state and they will tell you uh, it's successful. The impact that you all have had And the is best awesome. is yet to come. And the best is yet to come. That's both a promise and a threat. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing. There's so many upset people hearing that. I'm Kevin Nicholson, and this is the Right Idea Podcast. I'm Kevin Nicholson, volunteer president and CEO of No Better Friend Corporation. Thanks for joining us for season two of the Right Idea podcast. This season, we're sitting down and having conversations with a series of great Americans to celebrate our country, to talk about addressing our challenges, and to lay out a path forward. Today, in the final episode of season two of the Right Idea podcast, we're introducing you to the force that is the outstanding No Better Friend Corp team. I'm excited to introduce you to a great group of people that I'm incredibly proud to work with all across our state. They come from varied backgrounds, have informed perspectives, and care deeply about the future of our state and our nation, and I'm thrilled to share their voices with you. I hope you enjoyed the opportunity to get to know the people behind No Better Friend Corp. This is the Right Idea Podcast. 
All right, everybody, welcome to uh, this edition of season two of the Right Idea podcast. And in, in this one, we're going to take a, a bit of a detour. We're going to have the No Better Friend team here, uh, all assembled to share our insight, our knowledge, and our expertise with the wider world. So I'm excited about this. I'm going to ask the team a lot of super uncomfortable questions. <laughs> they're standing around there. They're staring at me looking super excited. But uh, but it should be interesting. And what we're going to do, we're going to start off with the same question we've asked everyone that's done uh, season two this, this entire season, uh, which is basically what makes this country great? What makes it exceptional? What makes them love it? So they don't know who I'm going to call on first. I'm spinning the pointer, and it's Chris. Chris, what makes this country great? Well, for me, what makes this country great is that you can start from the very bottom um, in society. Um, I come from some very tough neighborhoods, Chicago, Milwaukee, and you know you can come up in this world if you make the right decisions in life, you work hard, um, you focus on your studies, and um, you do those things, you can really come up in America. And you may have to work a little harder than some people, but that's fine. But if you do those things, you make good decisions, you get to your studies and you work really hard, um, you can really come up in America. And I think... We hear that story so much in America of just entrepreneurs, political leaders, business leaders, all sorts of people who just come from very tough beginnings and make something out of themselves. And that's, to me, probably the greatest thing about this country. Yeah. And you're echoing what so many of uh, our guests this year or this season have talked about is just that freedom and opportunity, the chance to uh, to go out and make something of yourself in this country. And I know one thing, actually... We're all sitting around in our team meeting, and we don't usually address each other by first and last name and title, but I should probably do that more formal introduction as we do it. That was Christopher Lawrence, one of our program directors here at No Better Friend. And as I call everybody else out here in the team, I'll, I'll make a quick introduction. So let's jump over now to Daryl Carlson, our executive director. Daryl, what makes this country great? It's going to be a very similar answer to Chris. I, it's just the opportunity that we have here. I grew up in a, in a poor family, um, but I was able to attend college uh, for relatively free or cheap due to my service in the military and just the fact that I was exposed to a lot of different things throughout my military career and then just coming out into the private sector I was able to do a lot and and starting with pretty much nothing because parents worked hard but they didn't have much to give us after we after we left the house so um, having traveled the world extensively but to a lot of the places I have been I think we take for granted the opportunity we do have here, and, and it's pretty much you can be success, successful as you want to be. Uh, just got to work hard at doing it. Absolutely. Carlton Huckman, our other program director, tell us what makes this country great. Uh, well, I have to ask first. Um, I wanted to quote Thomas Jefferson, but I wanted to be sure he hasn't been canceled yet. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, moment to moment, right? Like, what's going on? That's right. But uh, I would like to hearken back to uh, Thomas Jefferson's uh, first inaugural address whenever he said that a wise and frugal government will restrain men from injuring one another, otherwise leaving them free to regulate their own pursuits of industry and improvement, and it shall not take from the mouths of labor the bread it has earned. Nice. And you go into the sentiment that Jefferson expressed there, and it was basically allowing individuals the maximum amount of freedom that was in line with law and order and also took into account personal virtue, that we do not, in our pursuit of our own individual happiness, impose upon other people. And so whenever you encapsulate that worldview and you apply it to the real world, it is what makes America not just great but exceptional. Right. 
And that balance, that give and take that you're talking about is so important. And it's obviously been lost so much in our public debate. And so many of our fellow citizens are losing sight of it quickly. Um, and it is important to reflect on the people that formed the, the nation, why they did it the way they did, and that balance that they wanted to ensure was included always. All right, we have two other members, well, three other members of the team that we're gonna, that we're gonna uh, check in with. Amelia Roll, our communications director, who has been producing and putting together the entire Right Idea podcast, what makes this country great? You know, Carlton was very well prepared, so that's a little hard to follow. We expect a more extensive quote from you. Um, I would say the obvious answer is freedom. But then second, it's all the hardworking people that like build the country and drive it forward. You all know I'm going to reference farmers. <laughs> because I think our tradesmen and our farmers are what makes the world go round. They're the most American people I know. And tell, tell us why, we all know here, but tell the audience why farmers are, why are you referencing farmers? Because I grew up on a farm. Yes, you so did. That is, I'm biased, but that is why <laughs> I think they're the greatest people. That's a fair bias to have. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to fight you on that. My wife, Jessie Nicholson. Tell us what makes this country great. <laughs> I'm going to do another quote, but not from a politician. This is from Mark Twain. Um, we're called the nation of inventors, and we are. We could still claim that title and wear its loftiest honors if we had stopped with the first thing we ever invented, which was human liberty. Um, and because of that liberty, we, we have all of the opportunities that everyone here has talked about. Um, and millions of people have sacrificed um, their, their, their time, treasure, um, and even their lives um, because of that liberty. They've done it voluntarily. Um, and that's really dramatic, and it's something that has dramatically impacted the horse course of human history. And um, as as we see the future and um, all of the technology that is kind of transforming the way that we live our lives, I'm just excited to see um, how we utilize that for good, um, and you know what that means for the future of our children, even. Amen. Amen. And then Adam Tuning our COO and CFO, who is over the phone today due to logistical complications. And he kind of exists in the cloud anyways, which is okay. <laughs> and that's where we want him, ever mindful and watching. <laughs> Adam, tell us what makes this country great. Yeah, so aside from America, and you know, by America, I mean its people and its culture, you know, it's fundamentally powered by revolution. So America is powered by a culture that just rejects accepting the world as we find it. It's powered by our imagination and by our desire for a better place for all Americans and, and indeed the world. And so it's powered by our freedom and our energy to organize our efforts as we fit and liberty. And so as long as America continues to encourage and reward and celebrate new ideas, new efforts, to power the world forward, then you know, to me, America will always be indispensable global power and really lead all of mankind to brighter days ahead. Couldn't agree more. And there's nothing else like it. I know people like to talk about a rising China, and I have nothing against the, uh, the people of China, certainly improving their circumstances. But there is no government that exists in China that can provide the leadership that the, uh, the American people can express through their own government. The Chinese people are actually forbidden from expressing. So an important thing to remember that exceptionalism and how it plays out. So now what we're going to do, we're going to go around the table, and uh, I'm going to ask a series of, again, probing, uncomfortable, maybe sometimes comfortable, but interesting questions, I hope, of different members of the team based on uh, the experience that they have and just what they, not only just what they do for our team, but their life experience in general. So 
So first, we're gonna kick things off with Amelia. We're gonna talk a little bit about communications. Um, Amelia knows that I truly love like immersing myself into social media, right? Like I've got nonstop feed of everything that's happening. <laughs> Actually, just to share this with everybody, just uh, I don't have any social media apps on my phone. I do not take in information from social media. Obviously, we share uh, information over social media, but usually that's a multi-step process of me thinking I should write something on social media, and I send it to Amelia, or I send it to Jesse, and they're like, no, it's a terrible idea. You shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> or sure, we'll let that be shared, and then they do. <laughs> so there's a filter, which actually I think is an important thing that's actually missing from most public statements today in general, and uh, it's not a bad thing to have to, for people to pause a bit to reflect on what they are sharing with wider audiences. I also think it is important for people to think about how they do consume social media because it can become all-encompassing and is clearly affecting our society. But all that said, we have to be pragmatists and we have to realize that, yes, an ever-increasing amount of information that's being shared is being shared through these channels. There are problems with, with what I think are definitively bad actors in this space. And there I'm talking about the social media companies themselves, the Twitters and the Facebooks. There's no doubt that our government is not keeping pace with the amount of manipulation that's happening there. That is for real. But that nonetheless, you can't, in essence, vacate that part of the public sphere. You have to be sharing it. So you have to be sharing on it in order to push uh, uh, good ideas in a swamp mess of many bad ideas so that we don't have the bad ideas overtake. With that said, Amelia, talk about the importance of communicating social media, some of the tactics and techniques uh, that you believe are important for people out there to understand? I mean, whether we like it or not, that's people's new sense of community is social media. So if you want to engage with an audience, you obviously have to be engaged in their lives and in their community. And I would say, like, especially during the pandemic, you have people going to school, having virtual parties, going mm -hmm. to church online. So truly, it's like redefined community and community building. And I think there's a lot of downsides to social media, especially <laughs> when it comes to trying to determine what is real news and what is not. But I think it's excellent for engaging people and creating um, an audience in a community because you can reach more people now than ever before. Like right. there will be nothing that replaces face-to-face um, -face interactions and human interactions, but you can encounter and engage with more people than you could encounter in an entire lifetime, like in a couple minutes. Right. So social media is important because you need to connect with others, and that's the most modern way to do it. You, you've noticed, I know we, we kind of try to work or work through these issues um, in our own posts, and like right now we've got like real problems with like Facebook literally restricting what people can post on a, a, anything that they deem as being politically inappropriate or whatever. Again, that's a whole set of problems that policymakers are way, way, way behind in dealing with, and it's unfortunate they let it get this bad. But you, let's leave that aside for the moment and talk more about like you, you, you're aware of the fact that like posting videos goes less distance than posting pictures. Like, talk a little bit about some of these techniques that you're aware of that actually like reflect on like. Well, the, how conservatives should think about, like, how do I get my message out there more effectively? I mean, do we want to share all our secrets? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
what I mean? Maybe we don't. Maybe we don't. That's fair. That's fair. I think it is important to create content that's engaging to people. And you also have to take into consideration so, algorithms. That's what you're working with when it comes right. to videos versus graphics. Let me rephrase the question. So, Amelia, talk about um, or share with the audience, like, you think a lot about how to properly engage with people, how to reach people, how to reach different groups of people at times. Talk about some of the things that thoughts that you put into that and how to do that effectively. You should definitely um, know what kind of person you're trying to connect with so that you can gear your content towards something they'd be interested in. And again, going back to this, people should really make sure what they're sharing is relevant and accurate because there is a lot of false information out there. So the person that you're trying to connect with and the person you're trying to attract, um, definitely if you're sharing false information, you might not be <laughs> um, right. connecting with the right person. Right. And it also depends on what platforms you're sharing this information on. Um, I think that it is so much easier to connect with real people on Facebook because that's where you have all these Facebook community groups. I mean, like a Craigslist is still a thing, but mm -hmm. it's kind of more <laughs> like Facebook now, like all these Facebook buy it, sell it groups or church communities or like school board communities, all of that you can find on Facebook. So I think when you want to connect with your friends, family and neighbors, Facebook is the better platform. If you want to communicate with people who consider themselves media or influencers and note, right. um, consider themselves influencers, <laughs> then you should be tweeting and you can continue to tweet at people who live in the same little bubble of influence. Right. <laughs> if you want to right. connect with more people, you should use Facebook and Instagram, places where the everyday American visits for leisure. If you want to just share a picture of yourself drinking yeah. a mojito, that's Instagram exclusively. Right? Correct, like, that is Instagram. Or your Bloody Mary on a Sunday. Yeah. I, well, you bring up an important distinction, and and uh, that yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not thrilled in any of these platforms for a variety of reasons, but um, Twitter truly is a trash dump of garbage. Like, and I think people should remember that. Like, the stuff being shared on Twitter is so vile and so horrific and so false and. Yes, it's very funny when Jack Dorsey comes out and tries to put limits on what he views as inappropriate content. When you look at the garbage that strewn, the amount of damage that that platform has done to American society is real, and they should they should be held to account for it for sure in the way that they conduct themselves. Um, but I think it's important for users to understand that you make a good point. That's a weird bubble of people that are trying to manipulate information very aggressively. And nobody should take Twitter as, as uh, reality. Facebook has its own problems, but at least people are somewhat tied to a real identity that, for example, their aunt might be watching the things that they post. And so maybe it stops them from being the most vile human being that they could make themselves out to be as they are on Twitter. Well, let's switch up gears. We're going to talk more about social media in a bit. Um, but first, I'm going to jump over to Carlton. Carlton, you have done grassroots organizing in a number of different contexts. You're doing it here with us, of course but you've also done it for the Republican Party, you've done it for campaigns. Talk about that importance of reaching people at the grassroots uh, level, how you've done it effectively over the years and what really works to reach people out there. Well, you go into it knowing that people want to be heard. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it starts as quiet conversations in a corner. It's a lot like our founding fathers. Whenever they got together, it all started out as a small conversation that grew and 
whenever they realize that we can either hang together or we will hang separately. Uh, <laughs> Quite it, literally. It motivated them to collective action. And I'm not one for quoting our 44th president that often, but he was exactly right when he said, one person can change a room, and then a room full of people can change a city, and so on from there. And so from the grassroots level on the campaign side, it has definitely uh, been a joy just to work with people realizing that our country is in trouble, that we have all seen it uh, for the last few decades, and it seems like people in Washington are not hearing them. Right. And whenever you go to them and you give them a platform, you give them a voice, and then you take them to the next step of showing how collective action makes change and makes their lives better at the end of the day. And sometimes it is through getting a certain person elected. In other contexts, especially here with No Better Friend, it's showing that if you take this action, your kid is going to go back to school or right. we are going to help somebody make a choice for life. And whenever people see that happening and they see that our organization is being effective or your candidate is going to be an effective agent of change, they become motivated. And it is also empowering to them that they realize that whenever they speak up, things happen. Right. It's a, you're talking about an incredibly important thing, which is giving people an outlet, right? Especially now in a moment where people feel so much frustration and sometimes feel, fr fr frankly, held back to be able to do anything productive mm -hmm. in all aspects of your life. We try and do this at No Better Friend. I know you've done this throughout your involvement in, in public life. It's saying, okay, it's not enough to yell at your TV. Here's the channel, right? Like, here's what you can actually do to have real traction on the ground. It's incredibly important. Yeah, and you're kind of like a guide for them at that right. point because so many people uh, don't even know where there's an office to go to or they don't even know what it takes to go out there and even just knock a door. Right. They, sometimes they're just like, I, all I want to do is get out there and do something, but until you had that conversation with me, I had no clue. And right. whenever you they make that connection, make that roadmap, then the next thing you know, several campaign cycles on or several years on, you see them still involved in grassroots activism. And right. you and that just fills you with a sense of pride that you made that connection to get them out there. And the next thing you know, the world is better because of that connection. Absolutely. And something they can share with their friends and neighbors too. This is how I had impact. And that's how it spreads. For those listening and don't get the visual, just know Carlton is saying all this while wearing a 10-gallon hat. Um, Carlton, and that is because you hail from North Carolina. North Carolina, exactly. And uh, so you can actually speak to this not just in the state of Wisconsin; it applies everywhere. Yeah, absolutely, and it's uh, something that whether you're from Western North Carolina, like where I'm from, or if you come to Wisconsin, you see people that over the last few decades they feel that opportunity, that American dream, starting to drift away from them. And it's not because of something that is their fault. They went out there, they played by the rules, and next thing you know, that job is moving overseas or it's becoming that much harder to pay off those loans. Right. And that is something that they realize that it can change through the right principles enshrined in our government and through the right principles being put into policy. But until they find that way of taking that action, uh, it is something that they feel powerless. Right. And at that point, you don't want them to trust in government. You want them to be able to trust in themselves and to go back to those founding principles that made the country great and basically our foundational principles of humanity, that whenever somebody realizes their potential that God has given them, right. that they are living their full uh, potential and making this world so much better for them having been in it. 
Absolutely. Western North Carolina. Asheville. Is yes. it near Asheville? Yeah, basically Madison in the mountains. Okay, yeah. But that's where you're from? Is uh, it from uh, Hickory, North Carolina. Which is how by. close to Asheville? About an hour away. Okay. Can you smell the pot fumes from uh, you, you don't quite get a contact <laughs> high, but you also know don't go within the city limits. Okay. Everything's off everything <laughs> is off the table at that point. I, I we just went there once when I was stationed in North Carolina. We were stationed in North Carolina on the eastern side, and it was a very eclectic mix of people. Um I know I've been accused of being a former Democrat, but I'm not that eclectic. So. <laughs> That's just me. So. All right, we're going to switch gears, and we're going to go to a man who has a very different philosophy about social media than I do. <laughs> and we're going to go back to Chris Lawrence here, and we're going to talk about... Uh, so Chris is great at getting together groups of people at events, and he's done this, obviously, with No Better Friend. He's done this in other channels of his life as well, too. And he's done it through a combination of reaching out to his network, and he has certainly leveraged uh, social media to do that, to get excitement, to get people together, uh, and to make these events super successful. Talk a bit about how you've done that, how you've leveraged your network to, to get together great groups of people. Yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, so I use my social media in a more philosophical way. I want people sort of to see the unseen. Most people think at a more like basic level. I, don't want, I try to get people to see things that, aren't being said. So when a politician put out a statement, what does that really mean? What's being said, what's not being said. And I try to just give people information that you probably will never get from reading any news source or media. And so a right. lot and a lot of people like that. So right. I, I get a lot You're of comments. You're not afraid of debates on social media. <laughs> not afraid <laughs> to say that. I'm not afraid of debates on social media. Um and I don't care who's debating me. I got a, on my social media I have many, many people who are Democrats. Um, who debate often and they love my page probably more than many of my conservative friends and so and I let them debate free will I don't censor them or remove their comments unless they go too far right but um no I um I like to sort of do things a little different I want people to see things um that's you know it's not been said and so and I also make calls for action every time on social media so I sort of get people, and I started this in my previous employment when I worked for Americans for Prosperity, just really getting people like to call their legislator. And I found social media to be a much better avenue to do that instantly as opposed to like emails sometimes. Emails work great too, but social media worked very well. I was able to, you know, do a lot of calls for action, get calls into the governor's office. And so, and I follow a lot of pages and I also get a lot of people to do it for me. And so, right. um, you sort of, you know, have a ripple effect and, um, and it doesn't take much time to do this stuff. And people think, you know, I'm on social media all the time. It actually doesn't take much time to do all these things. And so, but it's just really, you know, building a relationship with these people over many years. And now it comes like, it's almost like a machine. I can get, you know, get people to share, you know, my message that I want, you know, anytime out. And um, just building those relationships over social media, it's just, you know, it's worked well for me. And um, right. it's, it's almost like I said, it's a machine. It comes easy. And, um. There's a lot of things you can do, and the main thing is you build in trust with people. And so now people, I, when I go to events all the time, they always talk about, oh, I love your social media. <laughs> you know, they love it for multiple reasons. Right. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, they love the comment section that's pretty aggressive, or they like the message. <laughs> and so, you know, but they find something in it, so I'm glad they do. And so. Right. Well, and that's it. I mean, I, I, well, I've been to events with you where people meet Chris Lawrence, the guy from Facebook, the guy who's been <laughs> sharing with them and showing them the way and so on and so forth. And they really do. They follow your message and it 
to your point, gives you that kind of ripple effect uh, to go from there. You talked about engaging, well, not engaging. I mean, I guess you are engaging them, but they're also engaging you, but people from the left side of the aisle and Democrats and, and, and things like that. Obviously, at No Better Friend, like one of our goals is to reach out to people who don't necessarily consider themselves conservatives today. Um, we prefer they not like, you know, hurl rocks and broken bottles at us in return. And we found that we're, we're not experiencing that. As we're going to all different parts of our state, we're carrying forth a very positive message about how uh, conservative ideas help people. People have actually been very receptive. Um, but talk about the importance of that, continually engaging people who aren't necessarily in agreement with us, at least not at this point. Yeah, that's what I, when I travel and speak on behalf of No Better Friend um, at our county caucus, that's, that was my message, was telling people, hey, what we do at No Better Friend um, one, you know, we can always communicate with our base and fire up our base, and that's relatively easy to do. It's not that hard, actually. But what's challenging is you got to start talking to people who probably aren't politically affiliated, probably don't necessarily line up with you, probably share some ideas with you, mm-hmm. or they probably people who are just have the wrong message of what conservatism is. And so I say, you know, you got your base. But you always want to grow. It's like every, you know, you either grow or you die. Nothing's right. ever static. Right. That's just not how life works. And so the only way to grow is you got to grow your message. And, when, and you have to get your message outside of people who probably don't agree with you. I've used my social media to influence people to become from Bernie Sanders supporters <laughs> to people who support, you know, who supported President Trump. Um, and I, I'm surprised always when people tell me, hey, I've followed your page or I see what you're doing and you really had an impact. And I was listening to the radio one day just, and I rarely listened to the radio. It was, it was, um, it was Dan O'Donnell, um, a local host here in Milwaukee. And, um, and a, a guy named Benjamin was on. He said, and um, the host asked him, he said, hey, you know, what changed your mind? And he, he said he followed this guy named Chris Lawrence <laughs> <laughs> on social media. And I started getting, like, messages, hey, Chris, you were on radio today. I'm like, I wasn't on the radio today. I was at home. <laughs> I was at home. I was, on, I was not on the radio. I didn't listen to the radio. And he yeah. said, oh, I thought you were on today. I'm like, well, was, you know, and then I figured out it was someone who said my name. And um, it was just refreshing. And um, he was a guy who, when I used to work with Young Americans for Liberty on college campuses, he was, like, one of our protesters. <laughs> like, That's he, he just, we became friends on social media. And so... Um, you have to really talk to people, and that's why I allow anybody on my page because, um, you know, they may hear something and they may agree with it. And I get a lot of people who agree with me sometimes. And, you know, you can, it takes time to really get people to change their mind. It took time to change my mind. Right. And so, um, but no, you just you have to engage with people who disagree with you. And um, I find it pretty easy to do because I come from a family of Democrats. So. I have to engage my mom and cousins and everybody, and all of them are Democrats. And I tell everybody when I speak, I said, I never really met a Republican until I was in my early 20s. And so, <laughs> and um, I said, so I'm pretty used to more engaging with the other side than my own side. So right. I have far more life experience doing that. And so, and I would encourage people just to, dev- who, who probably are the, have the inverse, uh, would, to start engaging with people who disagree with them. And because um, that's the way we can grow our movement and actually solve problems. So I agree. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I, I do. Again, I, I got my uh, impression, of, negative impression of certain aspects of social media, but that is the upside of it, is the ability to engage people and to share a positive message, which I know that we're always trying to do. So I'm going to jump over to Daryl Carlson. Daryl, uh, on any given day, we can find you, certainly, obviously, at No Better Friend. We can find you and the team distributing uh, hand sanitizer to schools. We can find you 
uh, activated from the National Guard, doing everything from holding back uh, riots to distributing resources to whatever is going on in the world in 2020 and 2021. Uh, and the constant throughout all this is heavy, heavy community involvement is the way that I would describe it, right? Through different channels. And I mentioned the Guard. You're a Marine Corps uh, veteran like I am. Uh, you then traded that thing that you earned, the Eagle Globe and Anchor, for an Army uniform, which I do question your judgment on that front. <laughs> I do but, too sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, this, this, the Guard is welded into our community in so many different ways. And by community, I mean our entire state. And also, well, to our nation. Um, but talk about that importance of investing in community, community involvement in any number of one of these channels that you're involved in and others and how that keeps our society moving forward. Well, uh, being active in your community, whether it's uh, just on a smaller scale, just within your church or your school or sitting on a city council, which I did do for a number of years, it, I mean, it, it, it exposes you to a lot of different viewpoints. It it allows you to learn a lot of different things that you wouldn't otherwise learn if you just kind of stayed at home and just did your own thing. Um, and it also just helps you get your message out too. We're out there every day in our own private lives and then along with No Better Friend, we're able to have these easy conversations or easier conversations because it's not over social media. Unlike Chris, my Facebook page is filled with like memes and funny conversations <laughs> that I have with my teenage daughter. But, um, and that's just a personal choice of mine. But just to be able to get out and have these conversations with different groups of people, different walks of life, um, it, it's just easier to slowly kind of plant that seed. And and one thing that I love about what, what we do at No Better Friend is that not only do we talk the talk, we walk the walk. We get out and, and we show people that we do care. Um, mm -hmm. So whether it is doing the sanitizer drops uh, at schools to help keep them open because of COVID or doing Toys for Tots drives, supporting the Marine Corps uh, Reserve Program, or doing book bag drives for um, the schools in, in the inner city. We're, we're actually showing people that we do care so we, we talk about, pol you can talk policy all day long, but if you don't actually act on it and show that you do, um, Republicans or conservatives have, um, or, or actually care about people, it's just not gonna go far. Cause there's a, there's a hundred think tanks out there pu pushing out policies all the time, but uh, we're actually on the ground in these communities uh, doing great work. And that's my personal opinion, so. I think that also just allows you to leverage interesting synergies that I've never, like that you just, you do really well. Um, I'm, I'm impressed by it. You did it recently um, with, um, when we got a call about some hand sanitizer that needed to be distributed um, and a group that needed some help doing it, you were able to leverage some of, um, some of the relationships you have beyond just No Better Friend to make sure that we were able to distribute um, you know, the hand sanitizer. And I think that's amazing. I don't know if you want to talk about that at all, yeah. but it was, you do a really nice job of, um, kind of embedding your values in your daily life and then using that to further advance the movement of conservatism. Absolutely. I, and so in that case specifically, so yes, we got a call saying, hey, we've got 10 pallets of hand sanitizer sitting in Madison. Can you pick it up and you have places to deliver it? Of course, the answer is always going to be yes, especially mm -hmm. here. That's another great thing about working here is we're empowered to make decisions mm -hmm. and, and, and act quickly. We don't have to uh, wait uh, days or weeks to get things done. Mm -hmm. So I essentially made two phone calls. I called um, one person to get a truck uh, and I called somebody to store it in Milwaukee for us. And in the matter, I, I think in less than two hours, we had a plan put into place to deliver 10 pallets from Madison to Milwaukee and then have it distributed throughout the city. 
um, in less than two hours making two phone calls. Um, and, and, and that comes from making those connections. And one of those contacts I had just made, uh, I think it was three or four days prior, I gave a candidate, um, out, I gave a candidate training class um, and I met this person and I was able to give him a call. And apparently he was impressed by what we were doing as no better friend. And he apparently liked what I had to say. So he <laughs> offered up a truck and two employees for free to make that delivery for us. So it was outstanding. Yeah, I know. And I think this is something you all bring to bear, but is that but through your involvement, you've gained so much uh, credibility in so many relationships, so many networks that when we move forward with an initiative in No Better Friend or in any part of your life, right, that investment in the community uh, gets other people on board, right? They're reaching out to ask for your help in doing things. And when we reach out to ask for help, they're eager to, to jump on board. And that's because of the investment and the involvement in the community. Um, that I know you show, Daryl, and I think that our entire team shows, which is outstanding. Um, and again, we'll let the Army thing slide a little yeah. <laughs> uh, Just a bit. Yeah. But I'll remind you about it. Oh, I know. <laughs> but hopefully soon, uh, hopefully within the next year, I'll also be a captain, so at least we'll be matched. In yeah, my, right. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We can just do captain yelling at each other. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's a good time. Yeah. Well, so, Jesse, you're my wife. We agree on so many things every now and then we we disagree on every things. once in a while <laughs> every now and then we disagree <laughs> on things and you know for the general uh, audience out there so i mean obviously doing what i've done over the past several years you get plenty of criticism and critiques and stuff like that and my attitude to that i don't know man giving people too much of an insight is to just ignore it and so if you're one of the people on social media, as we keep talking about, or through other channels, like trying to annoy me, guess what? I don't receive it because I'm not paying attention. <laughs> and so continue away. Um, but I think one thing you do a good job of pushing me on and pushing the entire team on is like, okay, that's fine for that. But we need to be continually engaging with people. Even if we don't agree with uh, each other on everything, we need to be reaching out to legislators. We need to be reaching out to school board members and elected officials routinely in order to keep relationships refreshed and in order to find ways to work together. And that goes all the way back to your early experience in public life and politics uh, as a young person. Talk about that. Well, I um, started my professional life working um, for a legislative caucus and then for a governor and then for a cabinet secretary at the federal level. Um, and it was a great growing up experience, but it was in my professional life, but it was also um, told me that I didn't want to work in politics my whole life, um, that it matters, but that um, there's a lot bigger world out there um, than what sometimes elected officials get to hear from. Um, oftentimes elected officials hear mostly from, uh, from lobbyists and from the press. Um, and oftentimes the missing piece is hearing from their constituents and from the people that elected them in the first place, mm -hmm. and from the people whose issues they're really trying to help solve. Mm -hmm. um, at the core, I think most elected officials truly start out doing this job because they care a lot, um, and they want to do the right thing, and they want to impact public policy um, for the betterment of society. Um, but they sometimes get lost because they don't hear from local local their local elected people from their constituents and so i um i i tell my friends i tell my family members i tell even people on this team it's so important if you have an issue in your daily life or something that you're concerned about to share your story 
Um, whether it's an issue that you have with curriculum at your school, um, it's important to speak up or it's um, an issue you're having in your community. If your road's not getting plowed sufficiently or you have a, you know, something that you're concerned about in your community, it's important to contact the elected officials there. Um, and, and state legislators need to hear from you um, and what you think about various issues because if they don't, they, um, they will, they're susceptible to getting sucked into um, you know, the, the Madison bubble or the Washington mm -hmm. swamp, so to speak. So um, it's just important to reach out periodically and say, here's what I'm thinking about, here's what I care, I care about. Um, specifically, if you have you know, a very specific instance to you, share your story, be succinct about it, um, don't be rude, don't call whoever you're dealing with names, um, <laughs> but share your story and share why you care about an issue. Um, oftentimes, if you're a member of a trade group or um, an organization, um, you will get an email saying contact your legislator to say X, Y, Z, and they'll give you kind of um, a, a, a template for what you should write or a postcard. And that's great, and you should do that because oftentimes their staff will keep a tally of how many people contacted them in support or against an issue. But it's also good to share your personal story and why um, a particular issue is impacting you personally because they need to hear that. Right. Well, it's certainly something we've done in our own life when we've engaged with every uh, combination of school board and superintendent that our kids, uh, at our kids' schools, we've expressed our frustration. We've also expressed when we've been happy uh, so that they hear about that because mm -hmm. they don't hear about it enough. Certainly, it was a push that you made and members of our team made recently with the uh, COPS grant in Milwaukee where we were very tactical in reaching out and trying. And I, here again, I don't think that we... Uh, move the needle just by ourselves by any stretch, but I think we did help the effort of reaching out to certain aldermen and getting the constituents to do it uh, in order, Milwaukee constituents, in order to say, accept the grant and keep the cops right. in our city. And it can be intimidating to make that phone call if you know that the person on the other end isn't necessarily going to agree with you. Right. Um, so, you know, create a list of your top three reasons why you, or top three things you want to say when you call. Um, it's likely not going to be the legislator or the, the, the elected official on the, on the line the first time, but they may call you back. Um, and they will appreciate hearing from you, even if it's a position different than their own. Um, we, we, you mentioned that, but we've also, um, you know, at different points in our life, if we had issues with the VA, have contacted legislators and, mm -hmm. and, and people are very responsive because they want to hear when there's problems um, that, that you are encountering in your daily life. Um, and then, you know, some people are going to be really great about getting back to you, may call you personally, may send you a letter, may send you an email, and some may not. I have to give a shout out to our own state representative, Cindy Ducow. Um, I haven't seen her lately to tell her this, but she sent us a blue book recently because, you know, over the years we've been in touch with her and shared our thoughts on things. And the blue book is, is a book of um, legislative information, essentially, and um, no telephone numbers and people you can contact. Um, but it, it, it's good good constituent services and um, it's it's always good to hear from you know the people that that you've elected the other thing I would say is um, if you if you're interested and there's something on your mind most legislators or um, elected officials have town hall meetings periodically and um, it's it's good to go and and meet them put a face with a name and uh, just just let them know that you're paying attention that you care and that you um, have an opinion and that You'd love, or you would love to hear what they think about something. Absolutely, and it means a lot to them when their constituents do show up. Because of course, groups at times make pronounced efforts to be at a uh, town hall to make a point. But when regular constituents show up and they have something to say, uh, that is more powerful in so many respects because it is a person in their daily life 
taking time out to express what um, what they're worried about or what they what would like to see done. And similar to what Carlton said, similar to what Chris said, you mm-hmm. never know what that ripple effect is going to be mm-hmm. and right. how that's going. Your story is going to impact their decision in the long run. Right. Um, so so if you have something to say, don't be afraid to say it. Contact. Contact your local elected officials and um, share share your thoughts, but do it you know respectfully and succinctly. Right. Well, and we're gonna flip to Adam here. Adam, um, you know, Adam and I talk all the time about issues, and you know, we've known each other since since high school. And um, you know, I might call him up and go on a rant about something crazy that I just read, usually in the New York Post, which I find to be the most fascinating publication on earth. Which um, can range from uh, introducing me to a whole side of pop culture that I otherwise know nothing about. And I read all sorts of names I, I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating. All the way to reading actual news about what, you know, the President of the United States' son is doing in bed with the Communist Party of China. And that is the only uh, publication that will actually put it out there, that in the Wall Street Journal. So we'll talk about that kind of stuff. But I think Adam does a really great job of very consciously consuming information from different news sources questioning what you read, making sure that you're fact-checking and that you're always expanding and learning more. Talk about the importance of doing that, especially in the dynamic of the environment that we have right now for news media. Yeah, so um, so I love learning about the world. I love learning about the world about as much as, you know, taking conversations off track. And so (laughs) one of the reasons why... One of the reasons why I love politics and finance so much is, you know, I get to learn about the world, you know, as part of the daily part of your job. And so, and so, and as I think about it, and as I, as I reflect upon this, you know, one of the reasons that I believe that the American experiment in democratic government has, so, has been so successful, you know, that the founders, as idealists as they were, you know, they also had a really good grounded understanding of human nature and the nature of power. And so, kind of like, you know, baking a cake, you know, like the founders had a, a great mix of idealism and realism right baked right into the constitution and so before we can bend the world to our values and ideals yeah i think it's really important for us to understand you know what is going on in the world and how it does work and and incorporate that knowledge into our policy ideas and so the question obviously becomes well how do i learn about the world right and one important source and it is only one of many sources right is the news media And, and sadly for all of us right the american news media produces more garbage every day than new york city (laughs) which is true and so you know know, I mean we all know this right I mean they constantly insult our intelligence right the media insults our values they manipulate our emotions I mean how many times have we all watched the news read the newspaper you know for me reading a tweet right just become agitated in the process and you know I wait in the cesspool of Twitter all the time and I'm constantly (laughs) insulted by what I read and yet I keep going back for more and (laughs) and once you come to realization right it's just like Emotional manipulation, I mean, that is a feature of the news media, right? It's the feature right. to capture our attention and enrich and empower themselves in the process. And so knowing that, you know, anything I read from the news media, right, I'll view very skeptically. And, you know, in some stories, you know, they're so bad, right, you can, you can spot the factual or logical flaws, you know, fairly easily and just kind of dismiss it. But, you know, some of the more sophisticated outlets, which, which will go unnamed, right, they're much better at, manipulating the fact pattern of a story, you know, speaking certain words, showing certain pictures, you know, structuring the logical, you know, progression of the story in such a way to produce their desired emotional outcome or, you know, install in the reader their view of the world. 
And so knowing that, you know, I can be manipulated by the media and knowing that the media is also trying to manipulate me in such a way, right, I just, I always try to refrain from having a strongly held opinion from the conclusion of any single news story, right, that I can't check with other sources or from my own prior knowledge or direct experience. Right. And so just keeping an open mind uh, for new and better information as, you know, evidence develops from multiple sources, you know, and as those sources kind of pile up independently of each other, you know, then my worldview will start to harden. But in the meantime, you know, what I'm getting viewed from the media and especially from social media, you know, whatever the latest hot take is from blue checkmark Twitter, <laughs> you know, I'm right. view very skeptically. Yeah, I think it's critical. I mean, it's um, the way that these biases creep out and these agendas are pushed in the media. Like you said, it ranges from blunt instrument to, uh, to high sophistication. One good example that, you know, is popping in the news again right now is, you know, the Lincoln Project and the treatment of the Lincoln Project. So if you're just... Uh, Joe or Jill Citizen going through the uh, election that just occurred, um, the presidential election and congressional elections that occurred in 2020, um, you would have heard, if you were paying at, at all attention to the media, about this Lincoln Project that was, of course, uh, sponsoring attacks on President Trump. Well, okay, so what comes out now post-election is that everyone was aware of the fact this was a group of grifters that were basically taking the lion's share of the donors' money and patting their pockets and some of them were engaged in directly illegal activity on top of that, which will be vetted by courts of law and so on and so forth. But I think what's important to know when you think about media bias and like how it really comes out, it's oftentimes in what is not said and what is shared, what small molehills can become mountains because a few folks in New York decide it should be that way. Um, and that, I mean, the Lincoln Project is one of a billion examples like that, but it's a fascinating one now because the Rubicon has been passed, the election is in the rearview mirror, and now they will turn their fire on the destruction of the people that were involved in that because they were never true long-term allies. And you kind of see this cycle played out very fast of exactly what you're talking about in manipulation. And it's why I think what you're saying is so important that you question, that you think about what you're reading and seeing about why is a national news story that some relatively small group is running a couple of digital ads? Why is that blown out to the cover of every single uh, major newspaper? And what is their true agenda in trying to share this as though it's a movement? And if you come at it from different angles and you question like what you're talking about, Adam, and you think critically and you read from different sources, you can at least round it out some and maybe and hopefully uh, get past some of these agendas and biases that are happening behind the scenes. All right, so everybody, what I'm going to throw this open to the table. I'd love to hear from all of you. Uh, give me a sense of, or give me the answer on what is the favorite thing or project, work uh, effort, or whatever you've taken on that you've been most fond of during your time here at No Better Friend. Who wants to go first? I'll volunteer for all that right. one. Um, right. As the new, as the relatively new guy <laughs> here at No Better Friend. Uh, uh, was finding out um, that down in Racine that there were going to be a group of parents, and this was through a grassroots connection. We talked about grassroots organizing and connections. A uh, guy reached out to me, said that uh, there were a group of parents down there in Racine looking to pressure the school board into having the option of returning to in-person instruction. 
and you, a lot of the coverage had been focused recently on the teachers' union, and the teachers' union all was pushing the same message, we need to keep the schools closed, even in the face of the mounting scientific evidence. When you have Joe Biden, the CDC, and Dr. Fauci all on the same page saying that we need to get back to school, then we need to get back to school. Right. And both Chris and myself went down there to Racine, and as a Southern boy, I am not one to volunteer <laughs> to go outside when it is below freezing, and it was 20 degrees that morning, and in the face of the health department basically telling this group that they were not going to be able to have a permit, I wish the health department had been as stringent on some of the protests this last summer um, as they were trying to be with this group in Racine, right. but we were able to go down there, network with the parents down there, spread uh, the word, and we were able to send out a press advisory as well to the media, and we got the coverage, we got the pressure on the school board, and two days later, the school board voted to go back to in-person instruction. Which is outstanding. The whole team effort on that, and, and you and Chris were down there, and you did great work, and it was, here, it was going back to what Jesse was talking about, because it was parents on the ground, you all bringing the message directly to the school board, that's not what the school board's used to. Now, they're not used to parents lining up on the street and saying, get our kids back into school, because that's not a union showing up and telling people you're going to be paid to complain. It is parents saying, you do your job. We expect you to actually educate our children. So it was an outstanding effort. And you guys helped to catalyze that. Um, and Amelia, right. you helped to get them some press coverage. And so yep. it was just, mm -hmm. it was a good team effort and building on what they were already doing, but um, helping to, to grow that and make it bigger. Mm -hmm. um, and it worked. Absolutely. Others, what building, have you done that you've had Building off of that. Yes. Um, we do so much for the school choice movement. So that's definitely like my favorite part of what we do here. Shameless plug for season one of the Right Idea podcast. <laughs> we interviewed a ton of parents and educators and students about the school choice movement. And we've also done a lot of backpack drives for yes. um, school choice kids, especially in inner city Milwaukee and in Madison. And I didn't know this. I think a lot of people across Wisconsin didn't know. Um, we kind of take it for granted, education, and we don't realize that there's people, kids in Milwaukee, who don't get a good education and it kind of sets them up not necessarily for failure for the rest of their lives but it makes it a lot harder to succeed in the rest of your life and provide for yourself if you right. have such a poor foundation so i'm really happy we do that absolutely School choice is important no it is and you did well you've done an outstanding job with the entire podcast and certainly season one is worth listening to if you haven't already but yes it brings to bear what these programs are, how they empower kids, and what an incredible lifeline they are for the families that, that find them. Um, and which is why we were out there advocating for it every which way that we possibly can. And the, the book bag drives you mentioned too, just a wonderful chance to get out there into all different corners of our state to actually meet people face to face. I, I think this is one thing that you've all heard as being part of the conservative movement of like, we need to reach you know people that we're helping and let them know that we're, we care about them and that we're gonna do more to, to empower them. Well, this is a way to do that, and we're doing it in real time. And I would encourage anyone who wants to help out to, to reach out to us because there's a lot of opportunity to reach many, many thousands of people as we've been doing in the past uh, past months. To that end, yes. I, I think one of the, the first really big events that we did in cooperation with several different groups, but um, we were able to sort of catalyze it with organization, was um, the, school the National School Choice Rally in the Capitol, and that was mm -hmm. about a year ago. Um, that we had over a thousand kids and teachers and parents that are involved in the school choice movement that don't necessarily ever hear from 
more conservative voices or conservative policymakers, but because we brought them all together on that day, um, Vice President Pence came mm -hmm. and you know delivered a very um, enthusiastic and and positive message to them that they probably would have never had the chance um, to hear it or and, and to have that experience. Um, so that was exciting. It was disappointing we couldn't do that again this year due to the pandemic. Um, but but I think it's great that we are able to you know bring different groups together and say. Um, you know, conservatives support this, and we will continue to support it. And um, and and you know, we want to make sure that you have every chance in life to succeed. Absolutely, and it was that was a truly great event, and really touching not just the thousand kids and their families that showed up, but then all the people they went back and and shared the message with going forward too. And again, it's you know, you got to let people know who's out there fighting for them because uh, they're not getting that. They're certainly not getting that message from the news media. Um, and so it is a direct contact, reach directly to people and let them know uh, that we care about them and their future. What well, else? I don't have a specific favorite project or event that we did. It, my, my favorite thing about our organization is uh, actually twofold. One, we do bring in other groups of people. We, we invite everybody to the table. Uh, we, we don't build silos. And I think that's the only way that you can actually grow the conservative movement and push ideas forward. We, so we have partners all across the state whether it's other nonprofits or other local community groups, county parties, things like that. We work with everybody, everybody's involved. Uh, the, the other thing that um, is one of my favorite things about uh, No Better Friend is the fact that we are so diverse. We're not just a thing tank pushing out papers. We are pushing out ideas, we hold events. So in one month we could be holding a policy forum where we have five different speakers talking about five different topics. Uh, but then the very next week, we could be holding a, a drive-in movie up in Rice Lake talking about uh, uh, protecting speech. And then the, the week after that, we can be doing hand sanitizer or book bag drives in the inner city of Milwaukee. So we're, we're di diverse, we're quick, and, and we're reaching a lot of people. So that's, that's what I like about this organization. Absolutely. I, Adam used the phrase recently on a team meeting, you know, multi-channel. And that's really it, right? Like we're in person with people when and where we can be. We are reaching them through uh, radio, through digital, through uh, any which way we can. And we're partnering with others that have uh, similar objectives, uh, which again is to empower people and create more success in our society, which is, I think, wonderful. And we've always tried to enter into those partnerships with the right attitude, which is like we truly want it to be a partnership. We're happy to give credit where it's due. Uh, in order to help further their mission as well, too, as we move forward. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk a bit about concerns uh, that you all have. As you, we're all obviously, as per this conversation, deeply invested in our, our state and our nation. As you look at our society right now, obviously we're facing a ton of headwinds and a number of different serious challenges. What, um, what worries you the most about the challenges that our country faces right now? I'll say the biggest worry for me is um, is we have an entrenched political class in D.C. that does not want to solve major problems, has allowed major problems to fester. And problem, just look at an issue like Social Security. It's going to drive our debt insane, bankrupt this country if we don't fix it. You can solve Social Security. It's a pretty easy thing to solve. There's only a few things you can do to solve it. And everybody knows it, but nobody wants to do it, let alone even talk about it. And we're just going to allow our country to go bankrupt. Like, you know, you have a democracy over 250, you know, over 200 years old, and you're just going to allow it to go to waste over something that's pretty easy to solve. 
But we have an entrenched political class that want to stay there forever, and they don't want to solve major problems. You can go to China. You can go to Social Security. You can go to our, our health care. Our, yeah. our health care is the Absolutely. biggest driver of our debt. Right. And it's a relatively, you know, it's, it's probably not the most politically thing to solve, but from a policy perspective, you know you need more competition. You know you need to drive down prices because everybody agrees it's too – it's relatively easy things to do, but no one wants to do it because they don't want to – they don't want to go to war against the, you know, the monopolists mm-hmm. who, who live around the D.C. area right. and who has probably the most influence. But, you know, that's the biggest problem for me is that it's just we don't want to solve major problems. We can look at our foreign policy. You know, we don't have a strategy to get out these wars or win them. And we don't even talk about them or debate them anymore. And mm-hmm. we just kick the can down a road all the time and so that's probably the biggest problem is that this professional political class in washington just can't solve problems and um they don't want to and um and they're relatively challenging to solve politically but from a policy perspective they're not that difficult to solve yeah you know i'll tell you i talked a lot about this during my senate campaign and i believe it holistically i believe it completely that and and of course this was attacked when i brought it up because that's what happens in campaigns but But the reality is, you hit the nail on the head, if you're going to Washington with the intent of staying there, um, it's done before it starts, right? Like your risk orientation, especially with the size and magnitude of the problems that we're facing right now, has to change. Put put simply, if you are not taking bold steps to address these problems like healthcare, like our international ongoing uh, uh, engagements, including hot wars that are being fought right now without Congress engaging them intellectually, you, you shouldn't be there in the first place and that you don't have a cha- chance to succeed. These are not careers. They shouldn't be careers. They should be something you do. If what, you know, solving a problem results in you not being elected, you know, that's okay, right? Like you yep. got to be a congressman, you got to be a senator. I'm sure it was a fascinating experience. Um, and if you actually forwarded a solution that helps people, guess what? You will reap a benefit from that even if you lose a, an election. Um, and we just don't have enough people that view it that way. And you hear the excuses as to why and it's so hard to do. Well, no, change your risk orientation, except you might lose an election and it's okay. And to your point, now all of a sudden these answers are pretty clear. A lot of them are governed by math and it's just simply reality. Um, but I agree, huge problem and it's one that can only be dealt by changing your risk orientation and how you view these opportunities. What else? Other other thoughts coming from the table on the challenges we face? Well, this is going to be a strange start to the answer, but um, <laughs> Rush Limbaugh died today. Um, and I didn't listen to him very much in the last probably two decades. But when I was in junior high and high school, my mom every single day, well, most days, would tape record Rush Limbaugh and play the highlights of his show for my dad and I, so, and my sisters, so that we um, could hear what was happening. She'd run to the kitchen and pause it during the commercial break so she didn't um, record those. But um, those conversations that we had were an important part of me starting to build my understanding of the world and of um, public policy and society in general. Um, that wasn't the only piece of it, obviously, but it was something that um, spurred conversation at the dinner table and um, was an important piece of, of, of my sort of, you know, deciding where I was politically. I worry a lot about 
the messages that um, young people and our children receive um, through culture, through education. The left has imbued their worldview in many of those um, institutions. And um, I just, I just, I worry about how that impacts the future. I want my kids to make decisions themselves, but I want them to have a full view of, um, of you know, what's this, what, what the options are in terms of, of your, your philosophy on, on life and how you approach it. Um, so I think it's really important that as parents, you know, Kevin joked about reading the New York Post a lot. I will, I will say um, the New York Post is probably our family's version of Rush Limbaugh, um, <laughs> my childhood Rush Limbaugh, because we have lots of conversations at the dinner table about something he's read. Um, so, but I just, I think it's, it's uh, you know, the future is a little scary in that regard. I'm excited about all of the, the, the opportunities on the horizon. And, um, you know, as technology continues to become cheaper, I think it like, it makes it easier for um, different companies and different marketplaces to, to emerge. Um, but um, I, I, I do worry about that. Yeah. No, it's so important. We've got multiple parents at the table here. And I, I will just say, I mean, I know you all know this, that engage, engage with your kids. Don't allow, don't assume that the message being shared through school is the right message to be received. Sometimes it is, sure. But don't count on that, right? And make sure that you're sharing your uh, philosophy, your ideas, and your learnings with your kids on a regular basis. Um, because, and you bring this up, Jess, and the, the, the left, and it's, it's non-stop, ongoing effort to imprint its politics and everything from news media to entertainment is relentless. And there's nothing new about that. That is the goal of uh, communists and statists and fascists and all of it throughout, and monarchs, frankly, throughout history, is to permeate all elements of life. The exception to that is the American experiment. This is the thing that pushed back on that and said, absolutely not. This is our public sphere as the people. You're not allowed to do it. And I think an important thing to call out is not simply to say to young people, here are good ideas to think about and think critically about. It's also to say, do not fall for whatever goofy congressperson or news media type or even entertainer that pretends that these ideas of the left are the new fresh thing. There's nothing new or fresh about any of this bullshit. It is old. It is old as time. It is coming straight out of, again, monarchs from millennia ago could be dropped into the United States Congress and the Democrat caucus today and feel at home, right? Manipulation of speech, talking about setting up truth and reconciliation committees, uh, talking about quote-unquote deprogramming people. Like, that is not a joke. It's being said by major news anchors it's being said by elected officials in the united states of america today and yeah we have to be the ones to carry to our children not only here are good policy ideas and such but boy none of this is new it's old as time and you have to be always on guard about it because what these people want is power and they want money and they're willing to take it through your politics if you let them what else I mean, continuing on with our, our children, I, I think education, our educational system is, is broken in many ways. And it's been especially highlighted during this era of COVID and a lot of these uh, public school kids being stuck behind a screen for almost a year now. Um, the ramifications from that are, are going to be great. It, it, that, that taken away, just the public education system itself, I mean, it serves as an, essentially as an indoctrination um, center for, for kids. Um, all across this country. And our, our solution, we talk about this all the time, is school choice. 
and uh, giving parents the options, different options, to be able to take their kids out of their school and put them into whether it's a, a, a parochial school or an independent ch charter school, things like that. Essentially, parents need more choices, and, and, and I think that would help alleviate a lot of our problems um, because the, the left's answer is always just throw more money at failing schools, and, and we've seen time and time again that that is not an answer um, right. because – we, we can see it in, in my daughter's school where the highest paid teacher is probably the, at the starting wage at a public school system. They have considerably smaller budgets. I, I do sit on a school board. We've got a tiny budget and yet we can still do more and our test scores are higher than the, the, the public school in our system. So the, the money isn't the answer, but choice and options are. Right. Uh, a market, we always talk about this, right? Like school choice is one piece of this, but a marketplace of educational solutions so families can choose what is the best fit for them. And that marketplace will also hold participants to account, just like all marketplaces do. If you start doing terrible things, like for example, excluding kids uh, from in-person education for two academic school years with no scientific reason to do it, um, then you're gonna pay a market uh, penalty for doing that and people are gonna go elsewhere. And that's a totally reasonable answer to real problems that our kids face. Um, well, I. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Probably one of the most fundamental issues that definitely disturbs me is the division in the American House, that you have it said by Christ and President Lincoln that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And right. we look at what America has been able to accomplish when we are a united people. We were able to win World War One. We were able to save the world in World War Two, and then preserve the peace and build institutions that preserved prosperity and expanded that prosperity. Right. And we also had institutions here at home, whether it was the political institutions, the economic institutions, and the cultural ones, that continued to deliver for people. But as those institutions had decayed and ossified, you have felt people retreating into their own silos and looking at our fellow Americans as the other. Uh, you mentioned the call for deprogramming mm -hmm. Trump supporters, but you also have people feeling so uh, disinvested that they feel the need to storm the Capitol on right. January the 6th. And you have people talking about secession. As someone whose ancestors were at Pickett's Charge, I can tell you that doesn't work well. And right. That does not have a happy ending at the end of the day. Right. And so as we try to work to implement solutions, we have to just rebuild those institutions to deliver for the American people so that they feel invested not just in themselves but as a community with each other. And whenever we get back to that sense of unity, the next century will not belong to China if we are united. It will not belong to this authoritarian movement that is sweeping the world in so many places. We have a great story to tell, and we have a great history that proves that we can't do it. We just right. have to get back to those foundational principles. Absolutely. Completely agree. And, and I, I know you all feel this way, but my urge to all of our listeners and everybody in this country is to realizes so much of what's being said to anger you anger uh our, our citizens with their fellow citizens is being done intentionally it's being done to create cultural cleavages which certain people and certain actors see as avenues to power and influence and the reality is we have faced wider divides before as american people we have pushed forward through them and we have accomplished things that no other uh nation state has ever accomplished in, in history uh, in terms of creation of prosperity and freedom and opportunity for people from every corner of the world who all look different. And, you know, our kids need to be learning that. We need to repeat it nonstop. And for everybody who's trying to create an alternate version of history that does not recognize the progress and the impact of the United States, we got to call them to account. 
I uh, well, here's the deal. We're getting short on time. I want to end on a happy note. I want to end on a, a point of, uh, of, frankly, what makes us hopeful for the future of this country. And uh, these will be a little bit shorter answers. I'll just kind of flip around uh, the entire table and give you an opportunity to say, everyone an opportunity to say, what makes you hopeful for the future uh, of our nation? Adam, we're going to have you go first. What makes you hopeful? Yeah, I mean, what makes me hopeful is the American people. You know, our power to build a, a better future doesn't come from the ground. You know, doesn't come from the air. Doesn't come from the color of our skin, and it doesn't come from the government. You know, a better future is going to be made by individual Americans waking up each morning, imagining a better world, educating themselves on how to achieve their dream, and expending the energy to accomplishment. And you know, fortunately for all of us, you know, America is filled with such great people. Couldn't agree more, and absolutely. Jesse, I I would very much echo what Adam said. I think it's um, we're all um, unique individuals. We all bring something unique to bear. But I think for the most part, um, we have an underlying um, appreciation for human dignity, and ultimately that drives um, you know policy decisions and and things that we want to we ultimately want to see each other be successful. Um, and I, I think that's important. Absolutely. Chris? Um, I believe the, the most thing that makes me the most hopeful is um, just I think more people yearn to freedom than the opposite. More people want freedom than want, you know, want to be controlled or want it, you know, want the government to have more influence over people's lives. And you just look at things like climate change. We're told we got to live you know, live without certain resources. But I believe there's people out there who will create things, who will do things under our system where, you, you, you know, you have the right to, you know, your own creations and invent things and solve major problems. And I think those things, you know, just having that freedom to being able to do those things, we're going to solve a lot of problems. And it's going to come from individuals. Um, it's not going to come from, you know, government or, you know, you know government forces. It's going to come directly from individuals using their free will and their freedom to solve major complex problems. Absolutely. Carlton. I would say aside from the promise that is given them to us in God's word from Jeremiah 29, 11, I'd say one of the real world things that gives me hope was just the fact that in the face of history and in the face of all the obstacles, we were able to develop a vaccine to fight a coronavirus that until like this time last year, we had no idea what it was and mm -hmm. what it was like. And it was our system that did it. It was the American system that allowed for the maximum of freedom and opportunity. It was not an authoritarian system where the government can put all the resources it has at a, on a whim, but it was our system of creativity that allowed that to happen, and we're going to be able to return back to a normal life. Absolutely. Amazing how uh, non-reported the words that you just said were over the past however many months. I mean, obviously, that was done to not attribute any credit to the Trump administration, but uh, just also so many reporters who just simply can't say this American system is fascinating and unique and produces results that others don't. Amelia, what makes you hopeful for the future? Um, in all honesty, the fact that we're almost done with February, so by April, <laughs> the entire country will be on thaw. <laughs> you know, you probably hopeful. just jinxed us. <laughs> How about this? Nothing is permanent. So we can elect better leaders, different leaders. Every year we get an opportunity to elect more different people who right. can create different policies 
that impact people in different ways. So let's elect some better people, folks. <laughs> I, yes, concur. Daryl. Um, I, I would just say the resiliency of the American spirit. I mean, from the our creation of our country to um, to now, we, we've gone through a lot, everything from the Civil War to 9-11, which I remember, I mean, it was my, the spur for me to get into the infantry in, in the Marine Corps. But uh, we, we've gone through a lot, and we always bounce back, and, and, and we just keep fighting. So that's why I've got hope. Absolutely. And you know what? For me, it's, it's uh, you all, this team, and all the things that we've done. You know, when I we kicked this thing off and founded it, a lot of people asked me, like, hey, what's 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 the metric for success? We don't know. How do you measure this? Like, what is it going to be? And I think you can look around the state of Wisconsin right now. You can talk to people in every corner of the state, and they will tell you uh, it's successful. The impact that you all have had, all the things you brought to bear, some just some of the things we talked about today in terms of accomplishment, how we have moved the conversation forward in so many different ways um, is incredible. And it shows that uh, a not gargantuan group of people uh, that are really committed to getting out there and sharing good ideas can impact uh, an entire one of our 50 states. And that's amazing. It shows this can be done, and it shows that if you come at it with the right attitude and good ideas, uh, you can make progress. And the is best awesome. is yet to come. And the best is yet to come. That's both a promise and a threat. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing. There's so many upset people hearing that. Um, so in any case, uh, that is the truth. Everybody, we are thrilled to share our team with you. Uh, we are charging ahead at No Better Friend. And uh, this will this will close out season two, correct, of the Right Idea podcast. And season three uh, comes up shortly. So look for announcements. And that will be talking about um, a number of great businesses throughout the state of Wisconsin. Some of the challenges that they have faced, uh, certainly within COVID, but just in general how these entrepreneurs and business leaders are looking at growing their enterprises and employing people and creating wealth and prosperity. So it's going to be an exciting season. Season two is wonderful. Season one is wonderful. If you haven't listened to them all, please do. And from the Right Idea podcast, uh, broadcasting today out of Delafield, we wish you the best and we look forward to seeing you soon. I'm Kevin Nicholson. Thank you for joining us today on the Right Idea Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the Right Idea Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Ricochet, Stitcher, Luminary, or wherever you listen to podcasts.